All right, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 17, please. John and chapter 17. This is the last Sunday in the series Close to Jesus. And we've been in the upper room, and then we went from the upper room to the walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. And what was it? Well, you tell me, what was it that Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane? What did he do there? He prayed. He prayed. Now, in chapter 17, John chapter 17, we are seeing one of the prayers of Jesus. Now, we do not know exactly the timeline because when you put together Matthew's account, Mark and Luke and John, it's, it's unclear the exact sequence. So what Jesus is praying here could have been a prayer um, before they got uh, to the garden or in the garden area. You read later in uh, John chapter 18, and it says that Jesus passed over into a garden. So at some point, Jesus stops and he prays. Now we know from the other gospel accounts, if not this time, a short time after, when Jesus was praying, what were his disciples doing? They were sleeping. Now, I'm not sure if that is what was happening in this moment or not, but we know what we're getting is a glimpse of what Jesus were, was praying. Anybody memorize the Lord's Prayer when they were young? Who memorized the Lord's Prayer? At some point, you have memorized. Okay, so a good number of, number of us. Well, I'm not, this is, I'm not the first person to say this, but the Lord's Prayer, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, etc., is not actually the Lord's Prayer, um, it is the disciples' prayer. He taught the disciples how to pray. What you have in John 17 is actually the Lord's Prayer. And I want you to see, in fact, I just want to give you an introductory verse, which is verse number 20. Jesus says in the middle of his prayer to the Father, Jesus says, neither pray I for these alone. Now, the these alone he would be referring to would be the disciples who are all gathered there. And he's looking at them. He's praying to the Father, and he looks at the disciples, and, or he references the disciples, and he says, I'm not just praying for these guys, but I'm also praying for them also, which, what? Shall believe. Is that past, present, or future? Jesus is looking into the future, and he's saying, in this prayer, Father, I'm not just praying for these disciples but I'm praying for all of the ones who will in the future believe on me through their word. He says, I'm praying for those in the future who will believe on me through their words. Who are those people which shall believe on me through their word? It's us. It's, it's us. It's those of us. If you are a Christian today... It is because you have encountered the word of those apostles concerning Jesus and you believed on him. So on Wednesday night, we looked at this passage, the entire passage. This morning, we're going to focus in a little bit more closely on the portion of it. And so on Wednesday night, I made the point when Jesus prays for you. But I want us to think of it this morning about this. Praying with Jesus. Praying with Jesus. What kind of things do you pray for? 
just, just go ahead. We'll do it. I know we don't normally do give and take in, in this format, but what kind of things do we normally pray for? Good health. What else do we normally pray for? Our family members. We bless on the church. Financial blessings in our lives. Yeah, we pray for situations that we may encounter. We pray about all these things that affect us. But I want you to notice something this morning, and I'm not diminishing any of those things, because the Bible says in everything, in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. We should pray about everything, and we do not, I, I shouldn't speak for, when I, I'm not necessarily speaking for you, but I'm speaking for myself and for people like me. We do not pray for as many things as we ought to pray for. But I, what I want you to see this morning is in our prayers, are we, yes, we're praying to the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, but are we praying with Jesus? And what I mean by that is, are we emphasizing in our prayers the things that Jesus emphasized in his prayer for us. So I'm hoping that this morning will direct our prayer lives a little bit. And I'm hoping that this morning will direct our view of what the Lord really wants for us in our lives. What do you pray for? And then read Jesus' prayer for you. And then let's try to sync those things up. See where we're going? So let's dive right into it. On the inside of your notes, number one tonight, this morning, I want you to see this. First of all, Jesus prayed for our security. Jesus prayed for our security. Let's start in verse number nine. Would you look with me at verse number nine? Jesus says in John 17, verse number nine, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Look at this verse. Look at verse number 10. We're going to go through this kind of slowly. All mine are thine. So all these disciples is who he's speaking about. Now, again, based on what Jesus says later, he's not just referring to these 12 or 11, because Judas was not truly his. But these 11 disciples remaining, and all of us in the future who would believe in Christ, he says, Jesus says, they belong to me, but because they belong to me, they belong to who? To the Father. And then the inverse is true also. Because they belong to the Father, they also belong to Jesus. Why is that? Because they're one. They're one. Father, Son, and Spirit are one. And all throughout this discourse, by the way, if you've been with us from the very beginning of this series in chapter 13, all through this discourse, we have seen emphasized the oneness of the Father and the Son. We've seen emphasized that Jesus is unique in that he is not just a man, but he is the God-man. He is one with the Father. And so he says in this prayer to the Father, Father, we know that all these disciples, if you belong to Jesus, you belong to God. Now that's interesting, because there are many people who claim to have a relationship with God, yet they reject Jesus Christ. You cannot reject Jesus, you cannot re reject Jesus and have a relationship with God. It's only through Christ. If you belong to God, and the Pharisees actually, the religious leaders of their day, they used to say, well, we are Abraham's children, we are the sons, of, we, we belong to God. 
And Jesus says, no, you can read it in John chapter 10. She said, no, if you were of God, if you belonged to God, you would believe in me, Jesus says. And so th this is this idea, but now things are going to change because up until now, Jesus, the presence of God has been physically there with the disciples, but now in verse number 11, and now Jesus says, I am no more in the world. I'm getting ready to leave. But these... These, that's us, that's the disciples. But these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Did you see that phrase, keep? Keep? That has the idea of guard, protect, guarding, protection, and possession. If I were to give you something very, very valuable, in fact, let's go to the, the classic. There is, go in your mind to a wedding. Go to a wedding. In your mind, there's one person that has the responsibility of keeping something that is very, very important. It's a job. And who is that person? Yeah. A three-year-old kid. <laughs> yes, there you go. The ring bearer. That ring is very, va very valuable. And it's, it's, here you go. I want you to keep this. I want you to hold this. Now think of something far, far more valuable. We're talking here about the souls of human beings. And the father gave them to the Son. And in the physical context, Jesus is like, well, they were here with me. I was, I was keeping these guys here. I kept them. I was, he was the keeper of our souls. He is the keeper of our souls. But he says, Father, my desire is when I am gone that you would keep them all. Can I share with you this morning that when you see the prayer of Jesus, it is, it is answered in the affirmative by the Father. He keeps those who are his. He keeps us. The Bible says in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1 and verse number 5, referring to believers, it says that we are, what's the word? We are kept. Are we kept by our own ability to be good Christians? Are we kept by our ability to perform good works? We are kept by what? The power of God. We are, kept, we are held secure by the power of God. Friends, if you or I could lose our salvation, we would lose it. We would not be able to hang on to it. We would not be able to keep it. It is not up to you. It is not up to me. And in the hours before his death, in the days before his resurrection, Jesus, Jesus verbalizes out loud. Now, did Jesus, let's think about this. Did Jesus need to pray to the Father this? Of course not. This prayer is being verbalized for whose benefit? For our benefit. That it is the holy desire of the Father and Son to keep the children of God. To keep his disciples. We are kept. We are safe. We are secure in his hand. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 puts it this way. Being confident of this very thing, 
that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Keep that verse up. Let's think about it for a minute. In the previous verse, we were kept by whose power? God's power. And in this number, in this verse, who's doing the work of keeping us? He's doing it. We're not doing it. It says here, being confident of this very thing, he which hath begun a good work, if Jesus began a work in your life the moment you believed on him, Jesus is going to complete that work in your life. We are secure in him. And don't, and beware of anyone that would come along and teach you that there's a sin you could commit which would take away your salvation from you. Don't let anyone tell you that it's up to you. Yes, you receive Jesus by faith, but then it's up to you to keep yourself in the faith. No, we are kept by the power of God. It's his work in us that keeps us. Even when we are unfaithful, he is faithful. And in fact, these very disciples that Jesus is praying for in John chapter 17 are going to, are, are going to do the worst imaginable they're going to commit the worst imaginable form of unfaithfulness in just a few hours. They're going to desert Jesus in his time of need. But it's before that that Jesus says, I want you to keep them, Father. Jesus' prayer for us is for our security. Back in verse number 12, he says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those thou, hast, they, thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition. That's a reference to Judas. And we know that Judas never truly was one of them. As Jesus said earlier, one of you has a devil. So the, the, that is the idea here with Judas. And Judas didn't, was not just a failure. Judas, because all disciples are failures. Judas was a betrayer. He never was a... True, true heart follower of Christ, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus prayed for our security. Secondly, I want you to notice this in verse 13 through verse 15. Jesus prays for our protection. Now, now we like the sound of that. I, I would think in our prayers we are praying for protection. But notice exactly what this is regarding. Verse 13, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word. And the world hath what? You say it with me. Hated them. Why? Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but, thou, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanct well, now I've got ahead of my section here. Jesus prayed for our protection. Did you notice what happened in this passage? First of all, the, the word of God, the truth of Jesus, brought about a separation from the world. That these believers, these disciples, they no longer belong to the world. Now, in verse number 13, back in verse number 13, the things that Jesus spoke, they gave us great joy. You see that there in verse 13? That because we've received the words of Jesus, we have found an abundant life. We've found a joyful life. We've been blessed. 
But at the same time, in verse number 14, also because we've been given His Word, what happens now with our relationship with the world? The world hates us. Now, that doesn't mean that every single person that's not a Christian is, is, our, is against us. The idea here of the world is the system of the world, the powers of the world, the pervasive principles of the world are not in our favor, but they are against us. And what happens in the lives of a lot of people, you, you be, think back and maybe you can relate to this. You became a Christian and it was the most joyful experience of your whole life. I recently heard a, a friend give testimony to that, how she became a Christian and how the, just the joy that came and the peace was like she'd never experienced. And that you probably can relate to that. There's a happiness that comes from knowing Christ. But then all of a sudden, it's like, wham, you are met with some kind of resistance. You are met with some kind of opposition. Maybe it came from a person or maybe it came from situations. Maybe you told somebody, hey, I got to tell you the greatest thing that has happened to me. I've, be I've become a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus now. And it may have come in the, in the look of dismissiveness. Or it might have been an outright, are you crazy? What is wrong with you? But you faced something like that and you felt it. This is what Jesus is praying for for you. He goes on and he speaks about it in the following verses. Verse number, verse number 15. He says, Father, but I'm not praying. I'm not praying for you to take them out of the world. Have you ever prayed, Lord, I just can't deal with this situation anymore. I just need you to get me out of here. I don't necessarily mean out of here like, you know, boom, let's go to heaven right now. Although some people have, you've been in a desperate state where that's, maybe that has been a prayer. But I mean just like you're in a difficult spot and you're just, you're, you're coming up against it and you're being, maybe there, you just feel like you're under spiritual attack and relational attack and all these things. Things are coming up against you. And you're like, Lord, just get me out of this. Get me out of this. Interesting here, Jesus isn't praying for us to be gotten out of the difficulty, is he? <laughs> that's right. You're like, you're like, oh, I wish he was sometimes, right? But that's not what he's doing. He's saying, I want, they've got to be in the world. And a little bit later, we're going to see why he left us in the world. Because after all, if you're with the disciples, Right there, Jesus, if you're going to a better place, if you're preparing a place for us, chapter 14, and why don't we just go there with you now? She says, no, I'm going to leave you in the world. But Father, please keep them from the what? The evil. In fact, this is in the Lord's prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This idea that you and I are sent out, we are left in a world that is filled with evil. And while we pray, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. At the same time, we realize that we have been left here for a purpose. But in that purpose, we've been given the protection of God. Christian, if you give up, if you throw in the towel, you're saying that Jesus' prayer for you isn't effective enough for you. 
If you say, I, I'm, I, just, I, I, I just can't do this anymore, I walk out, I'm, gonna, I'm just not going to live this Christian life anymore, what you're saying is you are giving into the evil at the same moment that Jesus is praying for the Father to keep us from the evil. But when we rely on our own strength and our own abilities, we'll be tempted to give up. But when we remember, wait a minute, Jesus said, Jesus prayed for me. Jesus' power and protection is on me in the middle of this. And then when we can claim verses like, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We claim the power and the promise of Jesus through the prayer of Jesus for us. Protect me. So, when you, so again, when you pray, pray with Jesus. When you pray, instead of saying, Jesus, just take this situation out of my life. Say, Jesus... I'm claiming your prayer of protection and providence through this problem. I'm claiming it. I'm believing it. I'm trusting in it. Jesus prayed for our protection. Left in the world but kept from the evil. Oh, I love this quote by Robert Murray McShane. He said this, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Jesus prayed for our protection. Thirdly, this morning, Jesus prayed for our sanctification. Now, this one I want to challenge us with. Up until now, these prayers have been prayers of encouragement. But right now, this prayer is a challenge to you and a challenge to me. Jesus is praying for our sanctification. Let's look at what the scripture says. Verse 16. He continues the theme of in the world, but not of the world. Verse number 16. They are not of the world. In other words, this idea of of the world means belonging to. They do not belong to the world. Christians, have you, have, do we remember that? That we don't belong to the world, but we belong to Jesus? We are not of the world. And in, this, in the same way, we are not of the world in the same way that who is not of the world? Jesus. It's not that we've been called to live these strange lives that are just totally unrelatable. We've been called to not belong to the world the same way that Jesus didn't belong to the world. Someone who was... Who, who spent time with people, he lived and he did human experience, he experienced human things, he enjoyed, he enjoyed times with people, he would go to parties, he would have conversations and share meals, he would do all these wonderful things in the world, but in it all, people looked at him and said, but there is something radically different about you. Not because he had a holier-than-thou, although he was certainly holier-than-thou than and, and me, but not because he had an air of, of holier than thou, but there was a holiness about him. Some unlike anything else. And Jesus says about his disciples, they, they are not of the world in the same way that I am not of the world. So Father, verse 17, look at this word. I'd like you to say these first two words with me. Ready? Sanctify them. Make them holy. The Greek word sanctify, the Greek word underlying sanctify, I should say, is the same word from which is translated a few English words. 
sanctify or sanctification, holiness, and saints. So when you read saints, it's the holy ones, the sanctified ones. Jesus says, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. We've already saw that we do not belong to the world, so we must not behave as the world. But also, we need to understand that we are sanctified by the word of God. We are made more holy through the scriptures. Verse 18, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Jesus' mission for your life and my life right now is our sanctification. You say, Ethan, I need a little bit more understanding of this idea of sanctification. Well, the, the doctrine of sanctification is spoken of a couple of different ways in the Bible, a number of ways. I'm going to give you two, the two primary ways. First of all, I want you to notice positional sanctification. And secondly, I want you to see progressive sanctification. Now, I put these in your notes at the bottom of the first page on the inside. In positional sanctification, it means this. I became a saint of God. I became one of the set-apart holy ones of God at the moment of my salvation. When I became a Christian, I was sanctified, made holy, literally set apart because now I belong to God. I don't belong to the world. I've been set apart. I am holy and holy His. But then the scriptures teach very clearly that there is a progressive sanctification. And that is the process in my life in which I am being more I'm being made more holy in Christ. Each and every day, what God is doing in my life, putting me through a series of events, guiding me into a series of relationships, He's altering the course of my life for the purpose of making me more holy, making me more conformed to the image of Christ making me more Christ-like. So I've got to ask you that. How many of your prayers this week involved, Jesus, make me more holy like you? It's a rhetorical question, but think about it. How, many, how often in our prayers are we saying, Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, change my behaviors, change my desires, Make me more like you. The Bible speaks a lot about this. In fact, a lot of people, they, they have questions in life like, what is the will of God for my life? What does God want me to do? There are lots of ways to understand that, but I want you to notice 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 5. Look at how this passage opens. For this is the will of God. People's questions are often, well, the will of God, where should I go to school? What kind of job should I get? What's my career? Should I move? Should I uh, pursue this relationship? Who should I marry? Etc. I want the will of God. I want the will of God. The number one thing, the, the, the number one thing that God's will is for our life is explained in 1 Thessalonians. 
For this is the will of God, even your what? Sanctification. Now he gets into some specifics, and the whole New Testament gives us specific steps for sanctification. First and foremost here, he says, your sanctification that ye should abstain from fornication. Sexual purity is a hallmark of a Christian's sanctification. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. That's referring to our bodies, our vessels. We should possess our vessels in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Now, this is not the topic of the entire message, but it's interesting to note that Jesus is praying for their holiness. Holiness is not just words on a page or a theory in a classroom. It's practical, everyday life. There should be things in our life that we deny because we belong to Jesus. And there should be things in our lives that we do because we belong to Jesus. Using the passage here, because I am a Christian, I do not have the same views of my sexuality that the world has because I belong to Jesus and this vessel belongs to Jesus. Because I'm a Christian though, on this side, I spend my time doing things that are different than what the world does. I prioritize the scriptures in my life and family. I prioritize attendance to the gatherings of God's people. I make my life about the kingdom first, pleasure second. And we could go down a list of things. And I understand Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts. But at the same time, my marriage is not a list of do's and don'ts. But I think my wife expects me to honor that I, the love that I have for her by not doing certain things and by doing certain things. And my behavior to honor that marriage does not reduce my marriage. Oh, well, you don't, you don't do that. You don't go out on Friday nights with other women. Boy, what is your marriage? Just a list of do's and don'ts? You would never think that. It's the same with Christianity. Just because we put out certain things of our life and put on other things of our life doesn't mean that we're legalists. It means that the love of Jesus motivates us to live in a different way. Because Jesus is praying for our sanctification, we ought to be praying for our sanctification. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1 says this, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, and spirit. And what is our aim in this passage? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It's an important responsibility of the Christian life. Jesus prayed for us, prayed for our security, for our protection. He prayed for our sanctification. And fourthly, he prayed for our unity. Jesus prayed for our unity. Look at verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be what? I mean, verse 21, guys, if you can catch up there. That they all may be what? One. He's praying for the unity of his believers. Now, we know this is not a unity at the expense of truth. 
because we've spoken a lot about truth in this discourse. We don't just, we don't just join up for the sake of joining up, but also we don't just divide when we should be united in Christ. Jesus says that all may be one, as thou, Father, art me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Do you know why I need to be one with you and you need to be one with me? Because we are... Here's the issue. If you can't get along with me, you've got a problem with my Father. But if I can't get along with you, I've got a problem with your Father. Because we have the same Father in Christ. Even among, even among areas of disagreement, among denominations even, and there's important distinctions between the, the way different uh, Christian people, I mean people who have the gospel right, they have the gospel right, the, the core of who Jesus is, we still divide over things that determine the way the church's functions and important issues. But even at the same time, if someone knows the Father, if someone has a true relationship with Christ, there is still a oneness that we need to have with them. And then in the church, where we agree on 98%, in a local church, where we agree on, on all of the essentials and most of the secondary issues, we certainly shouldn't be fighting over the preferential issues. Because if we cannot be united we're dishonoring the heart of the Father who calls us to be in union with Him. Father and Son, and we are there with them. Before you criticize another Christian, ask yourself this question. Would you say that to their Father's face? Maybe some of you have had someone criticize your children at some point in life. What is your reaction to that? Most people wouldn't dare criticize your children to your face. They normally do it and you hear about it secondhand. They might be 100% correct. Your kid might be the biggest brat in school. No offense. But you don't dare tell me that about my child. Why? Because that's my child. It's not your place. If I come to you and I start criticizing brother or sister so-and-so, would I say that to the Father's face? It's an important question. Jesus prayed for our unity. Our unity brings us to perfection. Now, I don't mean sinless perfection. That's not actually how the word is typically used in the New Testament. The word protection, or I'm sorry, the word perfection in the, in the New Testament is not usually referred to sin, a state of sinlessness. It's usually used to a state of full maturity. In other words, you think of a maturing plant that produces a fruit, and now that fruit is perfect. The point is, there's no more work left to do except take that fruit and enjoy it. It's the same thing when you see perfection in the life of a Christian. There's nothing else we need to complete our lives in Christ. And unity is one of the factors in that completion. So, in other words, if you cannot get along, if I cannot get along with other believers, then God's perfect work is a long way from completion in my life. 
Verse 22. And the glory which thou gavest me have I given them that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 23. Here it is. I in them and thou in me that they may be made what? Perfect in one. We are complete, part of our completion in Christ is that my life is joined to Christ and the Father and is joined with your life. It's a triangular relationship. As we each relate to the Father, we relate to one another. That they may be perfect in one. And... Get this, that, see that word that, really important in Bible study. If you're studying, this is your purpose word, the purpose of the statement. So if you could translate it this way, that they may be perfect in one for the purpose of the world, knowing that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. What, does our, what is our unity in Christ? What is the purpose of it? It's to be a witness to the world. In fact, everything that, when you think about it, everything that Jesus has prayed in this prayer is serving that we would be a witness in the world. After all, why did he leave us here and not just take us out? Why did he not just take us out of the evil, but say, I'm going to leave you in the evil? But I'm going to give you protection in it. I'm going to keep you from the evil. Why is he saying you need to love one Because he's saying because all of this, the purpose is that we would be a beacon of light. That we would be a message to the world around us that Jesus is real. That he is who he said he was. And that he loves us. And that his love can be extended to others. The, the unity that we have that Jesus prays for is for us to be a witness so again, I've got to ask, in our prayers, in our prayers, are we praying that Jesus, yes, that he would protect us from the evil, but are we praying that he would sanctify us? Are we praying that he would unite us as one people together? Are we praying that our lives would be a witness? I'm not saying don't pray for a raise. I'm not saying don't pray that you'll be able to afford this. I'm not saying don't pray that tomorrow. I'm not saying don't pray for those things. Pray for those things. But are we praying with Jesus in these, these major areas of our lives? He said it actually in the beginning of, the, of this discourse. In John 13, verse 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And we come to the beautiful conclusion now of this prayer. In verses 24 to 26. Verses 24 through 26, the prayer concludes, Father, now what I want you to see here is finally Jesus prayed to be with us. There's a difference. There's different ways that people grow up. Some people grow up never feel accepted by their parents. And that's, that's sad, it's in, and my heart goes out. Some people grow up 
tolerated by their parents. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean, they're there, they provide, they check off the boxes, but there's really, you never really feel like they actually want you to be around. Then there are people that grow up as God intended it to be, with parents who see their children as a joy in their life and want to be with them and want to spend time with them. I think sometimes as Christians, we, we look at ourselves almost in the second category that I mentioned. We say, yes, God forgave us, but you know, does he really want, does he really like having us around or does he just tolerate us? I mean, I didn't deserve to be saved. I lived such an awful life. I've, I've, I've met Christians like this. They just have a hard time believing that not only does Jesus, you, you've, you've heard that statement, well, you know, I love them, but I don't really like them, you know? Like, I understand Jesus loves me, they dies for me, but he really, does he really like me? Does he really care to be with me? And this prayer of Jesus ought to be a, a huge encouragement to you if you've dealt with those thoughts before. Because I want you to see, there's two things you'll see in this. We're going to get to behold the glory of Jesus, but then we're going to experience his love. Look what he prays. Father, I will, or I desire, that they also, whom thou hast given me, three words, what are they? Be with me. I want them to be with me. Part of this, I think, is the fact that Jesus, in his physical presence, was about to leave them. And he told them, I'm going to go prepare a place for you that where I am, there what? You may be also. Part of this, I, I believe, is a little bit of sorrow in the heart of Jesus, knowing that he is not going to be shoulder to shoulder, elbows to elbows with these guys. Now, maybe you say, well, he's sending the Spirit, but maybe you disagree with that. And that, that's fine. That's not the crux of the passage. But I think there might be some tenderness here. Like, I want to be with them. And he would be with them in the, in the Holy Spirit, but, but that's not God's ultimate plan. Jesus' ultimate plan is for us to, our physical presence, to be with the physical presence of Jesus. He wants to be with us. And that's why he, go, he went to prepare a place for us. And it's kind of convicting to me that Jesus desires to be with me. But I find so many other ways to spend my time than being with him right now. That's a convicting thought. Jesus prays to be with me. That where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me, lovest me before the foundation of the world. This is the pre-creation relationship of the Trinity. The eternal love of Father, Son, and Spirit. In fact, God did not create us because he needed love. He had love. In himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. God created us to share his love. That so you will behold they'll, they'll behold my glory. Verse 25. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me. 
And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. The desire of Jesus is for all of eternity for us to be with him. To be with him. The one thing, probably the greatest thing in all of, all of human life that we put the most expectations on are human relationships. I can't think of anything else that we invest more in and we hope to get more out of. Relationships with our children. Relationships with a, uh, with a spouse. Romantic relationships, family relationships, friendships. We crave them. We long for them because we have a deep desire to know someone intimately and to be known by them and to be loved by them. But there's also no other part of our lives that we are more gravely disappointed than in those relationships. Even the best of those relationships at times leave us unfulfilled. And so the gospel of Jesus, it speaks to that deep longing of every heart to be forever and securely loved. And Jesus praised that for us. He says, I want to be with them and them to be with me. That should encourage all of our hearts. But you belong to one of two groups of people. Did you see in did you see? In fact, we should back it up to verse 25. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee. You see, before a person is saved, before a person repents of their sin and believes on Christ, who do they belong to? Belong to the world. And everything we spoke about, all these desires of Jesus until you step into a relationship with him, until you repent of your sin, you do not belong to Jesus. You belong to the world. There must be a time in every person's life where they repent. What do you mean repent? I mean, they say no to the world. They say, I no longer desire to belong to the world. I turn to Christ. I believe in Christ. I put my faith in him. Has there been a time in your life do you relate to Jesus as one of his children? Or do you relate to Jesus as a, just a member of the world who, wants, who has nothing to do with him? You see, if you belong to the world, you will go not into the presence of God when you die, but when you die, you will go under the judgment of God in hell if you belong to the world. But Jesus opens, extends a loving invitation to you. He says, if you will repent of your sin... And if you will believe on me, you will be saved. You will become my child and you will step into my love. But the choice is not forced upon us. The choice is for each of us to make. Will you say yes to Jesus if you never have? Will you repent of your sin and accept the free gift of God's forgiveness? If that's never happened, you can do that today. At the end of the service, I'll give us a quiet moment for you, whether you're in this room or you're watching the message, just an opportunity for you to call on Jesus as your Savior. And then you step into this relationship. So, 
for those of us who have believed in Christ. Has this prayer of Jesus awakened your passions? Has it awakened your heart to say, you know what? I need to, I need to better align my life with Jesus' desires for me. I need to start praying for sanctification. I need to start praying for unity. I need to pray that God will use me to be a witness in this world. Let's, let's end our service now with just a time of prayer. Before we have any music or anything, this is a chance for us to respond to what we've heard, reflect on the scriptures, and give our response to God. So in prayerful hearts, is there anyone here you'd say, Pastor Ethan, I don't know for sure if I've ever put my trust in Jesus. Not 100% sure. Well, if you're not sure, why don't you make sure right now? You can pray a prayer, repenting of your sin and putting your faith in Christ. You say, what do I pray? Well, it's not the words that matter. It's the condition of your heart. But you can verbalize it with a prayer, something like this. Say, dear God, I do admit to you that I am sinful. I'm of the world. But I repent of my sin. I believe that Jesus died and that he rose again. And I ask him to save me. Jesus, I put my full faith and my full trust in you and you alone. If you've never done that, call out to him. Ask Jesus to save you this morning. Christians, we're going to have the instrument softly play, and it's the time for you and I to examine our hearts. But would you right now just take a minute or two and, and pray with Jesus? Maybe you need to look at these notes just for a minute, or look at the verses. Maybe there's a certain verse that stuck out to you this morning. As you look at that, Pray with Jesus. Maybe you, you just need to feel his protection more. Maybe you, there's an area of your life that needs to be sanctified. Maybe you're not getting along. Take a quiet moment now, and then Pastor Aaron will end with prayer. But just take a, take a few minutes and speak to the Lord. God, we thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for the relationship that you desire to have with each and every one of us. We pray, God, that if someone here doesn't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would put their faith in you. Lord, for the, those of us who know you as our Savior, God, we pray that each day we would grow in our relationship. Lord, that we would rest in the security and the safety that you've given us through your son, Jesus. And God, we pray that each and every day we would, we would deepen our faith. Help us to walk in your spirit, to follow your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.